0: He is the improv nerd And a new theme song, <laughs> song with, Check that out on JudyKerain.com We've got it, we've got a raffle, We are rambling off uh, Justin Bieber Justin Bieber toothpaste The uh, toothbrush I'm totally distracted
1: Improv, bitch I mean, after all You're nerds Improv,
0: nerds Improv. Hi, I'm Jimmy Crane, and this is another episode of Improv Nerd, and I am your host. Our guest today is Peter Gwynn. He's a longtime writer for the Colbert Report. He's also the founder of the musical improv group Baby Wants Candy. We talked to Peter about the hardest part of writing for Colbert, the differences between New York and Chicago Improv, and how when he first started out, he was arrogant, and how being arrogant got in his way. I think you're going to like this episode.
1: Um, Peter, how are you? I'm doing great. This is a very comfortable chair. Good. Much we, more so than I anticipated. Yes.
0: We really, I mean, we, we comfort was really important when we were doing the set, so I think it's, I just want to check to make sure we're running, so we record this. Are we this. recording? We, we are recording this for we're the rolling? podcast. Yes, we are we running. Are you grew up in Evanston. I did. And you worked at uh, an office supply store, which we have in common. Yeah. I love that office supply store that you worked at. And John Cusack actually worked there before.
1: He did. What was was any, how was that? Uh,
0: they...
1: The the guys, the old guys, remembered him mm-hmm. and uh, talked shit about him all the time. <laughs>
0: what what did they say about uh,
1: it? I'm I'm trying to remember. I mean, this is you're talking about a guy's like attitude or work ethic when you're selling like mm. pens uh, and paper clips. So you like I didn't take it too seriously. Uh-huh. You know, I was just like, oh okay, and. I, now I'm thinking about I think one the two guys that were there the short one's name was Sam the taller one's name I'm blanking on uh but it was like it was a real Bert and Ernie dynamic (laughs) both physically and personality wise and they had one side of the floor that was like theirs and the other side was a bunch of like twenty somethings uh who were not there to make a career out of it uh and so there's a fun dynamic back and forth. I think one of them liked him and one of them didn't. Mm-hmm. And Sam, if it was any of them, Sam was the one who would have liked him. Because the other guy was pretty, pretty uh, crotchety. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and now you, you, growing up, your dad, when you'd go on trips, he would play old-time radio shows yeah. on the
1: car like Jack Benny. Mm-hmm. How does that influence your comedy? I didn't... I don't think I realized it till much later, but he did. He played tons of Jack Benny and tons of uh, Fibber, McGee, and Molly, and those shows, you know, they're radio sketch comedy, because, like, the plot of Fibber, McGee, and Molly every week is Fibber has something he's bad at, and while that's happening, like, four or five characters keep stopping by their house, or wherever they are. They're buying a Christmas tree, the same five characters are, like, coming by the Christmas tree lot. And some of them were the same actors doing voices. And it was like, the old timer. And like, I'm a little girl. <laughs> and uh, you can't hear that much old school comedy without getting a really strong foundation in the basics, without even realizing it, which is, I assume, what happened to me. Is, and like Jack Benny, there's no one better at timing than him. Uh, so, it, you know, it gave me an appreciation of, like, old school stuff and also just, like, a real, like, basics of comedy from the age of, like, four on.
0: Was your dad a funny
1: guy? Yeah. Like, Give yeah. me an
0: example of his sense of humor.
1: Well, he, uh, he is more the guy who, like, has a stable of jokes, mm-hmm. you know, when he's at the party. He's like, I got this one. And, uh, you know, his, uh, he was the registrar at Northwestern for a while, and then he uh, became, he joined the uh, National Student Loan Clearinghouse, so he was always traveling to uh, conferences and stuff, and he had, like, conference uh, mixer humor, you know? He's like, you know, here's people from all over the country, and you're like, you know, having drinks after the meetings, and he's got, like, the zingers. Was he
0: kind of a salesman type of guy?
1: Uh, yeah, by the, the second job he had, yes, with the other, he's just a schmoozer. like he loves he loves telling jokes to people. Mm-hmm. Um, around the table, it was always stuff like the famous one in my family was we were talking about what a paradox was one day, and it was like he would say like, you know, if you are at the lake, and there's like a mallard and a drake you have a pair of ducks and then we would go like oh again you know seven-year-old me would be like if you have two things of cards it's a pair of decks and we would do that for like 45 minutes <laughs> and my mom actually was a really good uh, straight person because she would be the one who would go alright that's enough <laughs> like sort of cap the game Right. and then you'd have to sort of move on or you would wait like two minutes and then be like oh, a pair of dicks. right
0: <laughs> now you go to Carleton College but you're studying to be a serious actor
1: right uh, yeah I was interested in the theater uh-huh. when I went there and Carleton it's a small it was only 1800 students Uh, when I was there and the good thing about that is like you could do anything you wanted to in their theater program Um, so I directed like nine plays or something (laughs) like that I was in a play like constantly Uh, and if you wanted to do something you just did it because it was pretty small Um, and that's what I thought I thought we were going to be moving to Chicago and starting up a, a legitimate theater company but I also got into the improv troupe on campus.
0: And then I, you blame Sharna for you coming to Chicago yeah, to study. Yeah,
1: after my freshman year, I had just gotten into the Carlton improv troupe, so when I was home on summer break, I'm like, I better take an improv class while I'm in Chicago, and then go back and be really good, because uh, the the guy who ran the troupe was, he was a little bit of a taskmaster. He, he was a challenge. Um, so I took, I went, and I, uh, like, I went and saw as many different shows as I could, and I picked I.O. to do shows basically because um, Catherine O'Hara was in the audience when I at the show I went to see just coincidentally. Um, so I went and did uh, I.O. and then she was like, "You're great. You should come back, hang out." You know, she I was it was so small back then that I was on a team by the end of the summer. I was put on a team after week four of level one um, because there was like level one and Dell, I think maybe there was level two by then there was
0: the, yes, there at one time it was it was Sharna then some Noah I think taught by the time you were there, Noah was teaching a second level and then uh, and and then Dell.
1: yeah, but then by the end of the um, summer, I had like two weeks before. I had to go back to school, and she was like, "Uh, just take Dell's class. And I went once, and it was (laughs) was terrifying.
0: Tell us about that.
1: Um, The thing that I remember, because this was also like the people who were in Dell's class at the time were people like Susan Messing. And um, like the only thing I remember was that uh, there was a group scene about a class taking a test. And I decided that I was going to be like a super smart kid. So they started the test, and I just like in five seconds, I'm like, I'm done. And uh, the, whoever was doing the teacher's like, okay, you can go. So I left. <laughs> <laughs> and afterwards, um, the game had went well, but Dell was giving notes afterwards, and he's like, all right, well, this was a great move that uh, you made, and you could have done this a little bit better. And he got to me, and he goes, and you. And also, because <laughs> there was really nothing to, to say, uh, so that was, that was scary.
0: Now, you were at the I.O., we crossed paths a couple times there, mm-hmm. and when you were there, there was people, you were in the original Armando, right?
1: No, I was second wave, I think.
0: Second wave, but there was people at that time, Tina Fey was around,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Matt Besser, Ian Roberts, Amy Poehler, Matt Walsh, Adam McKay, Dave Koechner, Brian Stack,
1: Brian McCann. What
0: was that like?
1: Um, Fun. Uh, Besser was on my first ever team. That Mm -hmm. team that I was put... uh, Besser was in my level one class. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were like four of us who were like, we're the good ones. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right. Um, And it was really fun. Our first team was called Habeas Porpoise, Mm -hmm. which lasted, I think, one show, maybe two. And then um, Besser still mocks me to this day because I thought that you had to have a funny pun for your team name. Mm-hmm. And there was a, uh, in the, I forget what it is in astronomy, but there was a harmonic convergence mm-hmm. coming up and it was in the news. So I suggested Harmonica Virgins as a name and <laughs> we went with it. And it's the worst name ever uh that team also lasted like two shows but to this day Besser's like harmonica virgins
0: that's Besser he doesn't
1: let things go does he he doesn't and he tried to he uh and uh Rick Roman I think tried to talk me out of going back to school to they're like just stay do comedy this is what you're gonna end up doing anyway and I wouldn't that that was not an option
0: when did you decide I'm gonna be a writer Because you you do become a comedy writer. Because I knew you and you were an improviser and then Mm -hmm. aspired to get into Second City. When did you make that transition?
1: Um, Pretty much when I realized that no one will pay you to be an improviser. Um, And and a lot of people will pay you to be a writer. So I went through Second City. I did the Turco for four years and I didn't get a stage. And... Coming out of that, I eventually figured out I just needed to write my own stuff and take my career forward in that way.
0: Was that hard for you? Because I know uh, you had understudied at Second City, and mm-hmm. they didn't give you a stage. Was that was that a tough time for you? Yeah, it was
1: definitely. And uh, looking back on it, <clears throat> they were not right to not give me a stage, uh-huh. <laughs> um, but. I was a pretty entitled prick
0: in terms at the of the time so t- I could
1: see i just being like I am you know i I thought I was the shit and that that should entitle me to getting the stuff that I wanted mm-hmm. and you know the first time I was ever really passed over like I was the tourco member with the most seniority, so like should have gotten mm-hmm. the next thing you know uh the guy who got that spot was Jack McBrayer. Mm -hmm. And, like, you can't say that Jack McBrayer doesn't deserve that spot. Everybody loved Jack McBrayer, and Jack McBrayer was not an entitled jerk. He was, like, nice to everybody. Um, So, like, you know, I can't fault them for that. Looking back, where
0: did that entitlement come from? Because I had read an interview, you said, ah, when I got to Second City, I kind of had a chip on my shoulder. Where do you think it came from?
1: Um, I think it just came from having a lot of success at everything uh, up till that point. Like no, I,
0: I can relate. No, I,
1: <laughs> I was a really good uh, student. Like I got you know all A's in high school and stuff. And in college, like I didn't get all A's, but I was at the top of like, the theater community. I could do whatever I wanted to. Um, I was in charge of that improv group, and just sort of like. Like, yeah, I can do this. And I I I sort of debate sometimes whether because I had a moment afterwards, right at like my senior year, I kind of realized I was pissing people off a bit. And I'm like, I wonder if I should try to change (laughs) and make being having people like me more important than like being the best at everything. And um Honestly, like I tried to do the the thing where I'm like, ah, oh, now I'm just going to be nice to everybody, and I'm not sure it was the right thing to do. Well, how long were you trying
0: to be nice? I don't For remember that. No.
1: Well, that's the thing. Part, well, that's part of the problem is it was against my nature. So, but you know, I looked at people who do sort of like shoot through, you know, all the way to you know SNL or whatever, and you have to have that confidence that's that's sort of the key is is it going to be does it manifest itself as confidence or entitlement and if i had taken that entitlement and just put it into confidence and just done good work as best as i could do and not worry about anybody else i think it all would have probably worked out fine uh that you find people who want to work with you. Was there a part
0: different. of you, the entitlement that you didn't feel? You, I mean, this is I struggle with this all the time. Mm-hmm. As I don't feel I'm good enough. To, was there a part of you didn't feel that was good enough, or you deserved it? The entitlement, or were
1: afraid? No. Okay. I don't think so. Okay. I, I just really thought I didn't want to be an asshole. And I've, you know, I have seen a lot of people since. I'm not going to name names, Mm -hmm. but I've known a few assholes in my time. Yeah. Okay. I know famous people that you wouldn't know who were assholes at a point in their career and got to the level of success they were after Mm -hmm. and then turned nice.
0: Well, there's hope for me, I guess, right? Yeah.
1: Because it's, you know, it's ambition and stuff. But I think reflecting on it, what makes you an asshole is is uh bitterness and and the bitterness comes from frustration of you know of not getting these things that you think you're you're after and if every single time if you if you just buckle down and just do the work the best you can and and like shut out the other stuff you're going to be fine, you're going to succeed, and all that other shit will fall away. And I didn't know that at Second City. That was one of my issues. Well, they don't would,
0: teach it there.
1: No, they don't. <laughs> I would bitch about really dumb things at Second City that when I should have just been doing my fucking Are you scenes. a jealous person at all? Uh, I try not to be. Okay. I used to be, and now I'm not.
0: Okay. Competitive. Would you say competitive? Yes. Okay. Yeah. What's the difference between jealous and competitive?
1: For you, uh, competitive. If you are in, if you and I are going, we're gunning for the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm competitive, I'm gonna try and make myself better. And if I'm jealous, I'm gonna try and make other people think your shit is worse.
0: <laughs> okay, then I'm definitely jealous. <laughs> okay, <laughs> how did you get the job
1: on the Colbert Report? Um, I moved to New York finally when my wife got into Columbia Medical School. And uh, I was out there teaching at UCB, and I think it was Baby Once Candy was doing shows before the Delco's Marathon. And a former student of mine at I.O. Chicago named Allison Silverman uh, came to see the show. And um, Allison uh, left, she, was, she like, finished the program at I.O. She was on a team for like six months and then moved to New York. And I do remember saying to myself, well, she's leaving early. <laughs> Why don't you stick around and pay your dues, <laughs> sweetness? And instead, she moved and immediately got a running job on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and then The Daily Show and then Conan and then became the executive producer of The Colbert Report when it started. And so I bumped into her, and I, I heard she got the job, so I said, congratulations. And she said, oh, we're staffing right now. You should submit a packet.
0: When you say congratulations, did you mean it? Yeah. Okay, great. I oh, know, I
1: was, I was okay, legitimately okay. happy okay. for it. And when you say, by the way, like, am I a jealous or competitive person, that's the biggest change, you know, as I've grown older and wiser, is, is anybody's success is good for everybody.
0: Can you explain in what way?
1: Um, <laughs> it's because, like... I'm, trying, I'm not going to tell that story um, What story were you going to tell? <laughs> there was a I, I made fun of a certain TV show To one of the people Who was on the show And the show in question Was, was Not a good show But you know I, I Made this joke to this guy and then later on I sort of felt bad about it and I was thinking about why And uh, it's because You know what that person who I was talking to was a really funny performer and a very talented guy and who gives a shit if the show he's on is any good, if it's not his show and, you know, if if he's not creating it and it's nothing he has that investment of, or even if it is if he's getting paid to do comedy who the fuck am I, I hope this is not a PG podcast, but who the fuck am I to say that that's bad you know it's hard enough for comedians to get work without saying, like, oh, you're successful on a show uh, and you deserve the success. Like, too bad. It's, it's, it's a shitty show. But
0: we, we do see a lot of our contemporaries and peers go on and do shitty stuff. Yeah. You know? And I think people forget that that's just to get to the point where you're doing shitty stuff. It, it it takes a lot. To, I mean, that, that, it does. You know,
1: to do... and you know, our show, the Colbert Report. Mm-hmm. Even if it were a shitty show, which I don't believe it is, like there's 80 people employed with full time jobs on that shitty mm-hmm. show, and whether it's that or whether it's work it, uh, you know, on ABC, like which everyone agrees, not the show I was talking about, by right. the way. Everyone agrees that was the worst show idea ever. I'm I'm amazed, but like, why would I? Why criticize it? That, that's, you know, that's a hundred people who have a job now. So why would you root for anything to fail? What
0: is the coolest thing that ever happened being associated with the Kobe report?
1: Um, it was, I got to hang out backstage talking with the band The Cars, mm-hmm. uh, which were my favorite band in high school. And one of the first things that happened, which was amazing to me, was we had a Uh, I was writing a threat, I think, about um, someone had said they figured out how Jesus walked on water and it was actually, there was like ice. And um, I'm like, no, the bit was Stephen going, no, Jesus can really walk on water. It is possible and I can prove it because look at this video for the magic by the cars. Is Rick O'Kazak walking on water in a swimming pool? And people are like amazed. and um, somehow we were like, and then I just sort of wrote, like, you know, and here's Rick Okasik to talk about it. And, like, and then next thing I know, he was there. And that was, it was, like, really early in the show, and I'm like, wait a second. You mean I can sit at my desk and type, Rick Okasik enters and someone will make that happen? (laughs) That's amazing. And so we wound up having Rick Okasik on, like, four times. (laughs) Just for, like, bits. Um... And then the cars were finally on uh, to perform as a band. And I went down, and by this time, I was like, hey, Rick. And he's like, hey, Peter, (laughs) Uh, which was awesome. And I met everyone else in the band, and uh, I got to talk to their guitarist, uh, Elliot Easton, who plays left-handed, because my son, who at the time was three, but he had a ukulele, and he would only hold it left-handed. And uh, I got to talk to their left-handed guitarist about whether I should turn him around, <laughs> you know. Uh, and it was it was super cool.
0: What is what is uh, I knew Stephen a little from here. What 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 is he like to work with?
1: Uh, he's very very good person to work with because um, he is an improviser and he comes from Second City. Like he has a very supportive room there. Like we are all working together on that thing. There are. We hear stories that I can't confirm uh, or deny, but that you know, other shows where people are like keeping a tally of how many jokes each writer gets on, and uh, it's not that at all. It's like we're here all together, and he expands it beyond the writers to so the whole staff. Like, you know, everything. We, every time you know we win an Emmy for writing, and he's like, "This is the whole staff Emmy," and we're like, "All right,
0: Peter, you get to take it home on
1: Tuesday." <laughs> yeah. Is
0: it- um, have you ever gone out with him in public? Because I've heard that he is like a rock star.
1: Uh, that is the case, and that is why I do not go out with him in public. <laughs> um, I mean, the only... He, he gets... A, yeah, when you're like... When we're out in L.A., he's everywhere, you know, uh, for the Emmys and stuff. Like, if you're at a restaurant that he's at, he'll be constantly uh, glad-handing people. Apart from that, we ever we would only ever walk, like, around the neighborhood mm-hmm. of the studio. And he could usually make it most of the way without getting stopped.
0: Um, we are going to improvise now. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we're going to just take a suggestion. We'll do some improv, and then we'll we'll come back and we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, can we have a suggestion? Do we want to start with the location? Or, well, hi- sure. Okay. Hold the lights for just a second, M. Um... Let's take a location. Can we get a location?
2: The Mall of America.
0: The Mall of America. All Mm -hmm. right. Uh, Okay. I am
2: so sorry to bother
1: you again. I, I was just closing up. Yeah, it's I'm sorry if I yeah. could just zip in there super quick. Well, I forgot one thing. I Well, we're closing up, and it's actually it's my daughter's birthday. Oh, happy birthday. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, so... It's also my niece's birthday, so I was just going to run in. Well, I know. You've had that happen, I'm sure. I have. Where had you're had like, oh, I'm time going time. for a gift for my niece, and then you're like, I got everything, right? <laughs> except for the gift for my niece, <laughs> <Yeah>. so... what <laughs> happens, but yeah. the thing is, if I keep So just keep lower the, the grate, and, and I will be thing out thing by, is, by I the let time let you, you and I would have done. to let everybody in. I no, I told everyone else to. See, I've closed my register, so I mean... right, I'll write you a check. Well,
0: I would, you know... The thing about a check is I have to run it through a certain thing to make That's sure... That's cool.
1: <laughs> That's okay. You'll be, you'll be home in... I'm going ID to need to see two forms
0: of ID at least. I've got two forms of ID... <laughs>
1: I do. I'm just going to try these three things I'll <laughs> And then I will be right out here, get you a check, and it will be birthday time. I Really, the thing is, I've got to set the
0: alarm, you know, and the alarm is set right What's now. What's the code? I'll set it. <laughs> uh, the, the thing is, it's, it's, it's me. There's all, I'm the only one who knows the code. That's, that's, you know, that's, is
1: that for you or is that for? This one is for me. <laughs> I just, uh, it's a little tight. All right. That's why, I pull, that's why. I'm trying him <laughs> on.
0: What, uh, it, my, the regional manager comes by, uh-huh. and if he sees that I've opened the store, What's his I, name his name is Jed.
1: Jed? Yeah, I'll talk to Jed. Well,
0: <laughs> the thing is, he's he's a, he's a very grumpy p- person. Better? Yeah, here, you you don't tuck it in. That's how the kids are wearing it now. Really, they're wearing a tuck now. Yeah, that's what I. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. He changes it very fast. But the thing is, if he comes and he sees me with a customer, All right, well, ass, let's get me out of here. <laughs>
1: no, no, no. Are, okay, and for my niece,
0: <laughs> a gift card. Yeah. You could have gone to like Walgreens or the Jewel to get a gift
2: card.
1: For here? Yeah, we have them yes you're kidding no, I'm you serious you are losing money, my friend <laughs> look, I, I don't why would you let Walgreens sell <laughs> your <laughs> gift cards? that's ridiculous because
0: it, because it exposes people to a lot more uh, customers alright I'm sure you want this wrapped, right?
1: yeah Okay. <laughs> could you actually wrap this shirt, too? Well, for you, I mean yeah <laughs> sure, but I gotta make it quick, alright? Alright. How old is your daughter? My daughter is 14. Oh, you better not be late. We'll she wait. will not forgive you for that. <laughs> Here. Thank you. Okay, I'm
0: gonna need a, a payment on that. Sure, just, there you go. It's Twenty-five. One form of ID, one form. Great, and, that's, uh, and then that's 35. I'm gonna have to do the tax
1: in my head, it's 10%. <laughs> Let's make it $90. Uh, now, I'm going to come by tomorrow, and if it was less than $90, i am going to get my change. <laughs> there you are. Yeah. There you are. Where have I've, you been?
0: I've been standing right
1: here. You told I've been me to stand right here. <laughs>
0: you said you'd meet at the soft pretzel store. That and Where's meet. the soft pretzel store? I've been looking that way, <laughs> waiting for you.
1: Oh,
0: Jesus. Why didn't you call out? Be- I, because I was embarrassed. If I called out, everybody would stare at
1: me. you embarrassed of me?
0: Yes, I'm oh. embarrassed of you. Well, that is just wonderful. <laughs> Jesus. Well, don't pout now.
1: Are you breaking up with me? Yeah, I'm breaking up with you. Huh?
0: That's why I asked you to meet me at the mall today. I didn't want to do it over text. You would
1: duck me at the mall? Yes. With everybody watching? Yes. So you're embarrassed of me personally, but you're not embarrassed of a spectacle. <laughs> no, I'm not. Well, good, because you're going to get a spectacle! Will you be quiet? No, no I will Carol, stop! <laughs> I will not! Okay. You dump right, me at the mall! I'm all not. All We're all back America. together! We're back the together! We're back all together! The greatest of all You know balls. what? I,
0: we're back together. All right, made buy a me an
1: apology gift. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's a
0: <laughs> Great, we'll buy you an apology gift. God, you are such a cunt sometimes. <laughs> I beg your pardon.
1: I beg your pardon. You are embarrassed of me, but you're not embarrassed to say a word out loud in the middle of the wall of America. Who <gasps> are you? I am Carl. We've been dating for four years. That's right. And guess what? Every time you call me a C... The price of your apology gift goes up. You know what? You are. This is
0: blackmail, is what this is. You know what? What? We're done. You cannot break up with me in the morning. We're
1: done. This
2: man is harassing
1: me. Where the fuck is Forever Twenty (laughs) One? Right by Nordstroms. I've walked by there three
0: times. Well there's two there's two forever ones here. One by
2: Nordstroms
0: and now there's one by the, the amusement rides.
1: Yes. Oh boy. Which one do you think I should go to? I think you should go to the one by the amusement park. If I go to that one, I'm only gonna ride the amusement park. I don't know, the other one's by the amusement park. Oh, right. <laughs> you, know, if you go to the amusement park, you're going to get
0: distracted, and you're yeah. not going to get anything. Yeah. If you go to the Nordstroms, odds are that you're not going to wander into Nordstroms and buy shoes. <laughs> they got good shoes there? They got great. Right, that's what they're known for. That's how they started.
1: They started as a shoe store, and then they, they expanded to a department store. I thought you would have known that by now. No. I'm really slacking on my department store. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I majored in. Just really? <laughs> that's, that's a good one. It's practical. you <laughs> <laughs> can get, get a clerk job in, in any department. You don't even have to take that test. Uh, I keep filling out the applications. Yeah. You would have taken it. No, they're hiring it Forever 21 right now. That's why i got to find it. All but right. now, I don't know. What if I go the wrong one? Maybe one of them's not hiring. What am I talking about? Probably help each other out all the time. Yeah, you're absolutely uh, right. Sam. 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 You are in no position
0: right now to 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 apply for a job. I know. Oh, yeah. I'm in there, super stressed and I'm I crazy drunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, take
1: this. It's a mint. Your breath is awful. I know. There's bars in this mall. <laughs> Suck on it. You don't blow on. No, you hands. bring the mint okay. air. <laughs> it's it's air blows over the mint. Well, so right now it's around just, your mouth. You're, is fresh and just, and you're just blowing bourbon. At
0: okay? And now you're just blowing bourbon through your hand. <laughs> <laughs> just
1: calm down. Let's go on <laughs> some <laughs> rides. <laughs> <laughs> this <laughs> is what happens. This is it. what happens. Let's do Look, it. Say say There's say 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 no job. Let's go. Don't let you do. I'm not letting you
0: do this to yourself. Think of all the department stores you can see from Oh Sam mm-hmm. Sam. You're so close this time. You're so close. Don't throw it away.
1: It's right there. I know, I know. <laughs> so close, but I'm equidistant. <laughs> <laughs> There's I just want you to realize, Kevin, that once I choose which one of these forever twenty ones I go to, I'm creating a parallel universe where I go to the other one and horrible shit could go down to that other one or this one. I'm only going to be wondering if I made the wrong choice. I think in this point it doesn't matter. You just have to make a choice here. I'm going to
0: go to foot Locker.
1: Improv. Improv.
0: That was fun. Excellent improv, Jimmy. Really? Yeah. Did you have a good time? I did. What did? You, okay. The first thing. Like, can we yeah. talk about it really quickly? Please. Okay.
1: How you feel about that? The funny thing to me was yeah. I was going to, like, my choice was I'm super frustrated because I can't find Forever Twenty One. Okay. But then you said you were closing uh-huh. so fast, mm-hmm. so I had that fun improv thing where you. Completely drop everything you brought with you, okay. <laughs> and figure out what's going on. Okay, I have a question for me. Is like, do
0: you think it would have? I, I, as I look back and I see, keep heightening. Like I have to get you out of there because I was agreeing. I, I kind of was, was derailed a little. I thought me.
1: Well, no. I mean, the problem with that was that my character was not going to listen to you. Okay. So, <laughs> I mean, it was kind of, I guess. On me to just keep pushing it further and further and see if, if you snap. Okay. All right. But I didn't push it very far. Okay. Uh,
0: second scene was the uh, help me uh,
1: that one. breakup the breakup yes the breakup at the pretzel place yes yeah uh, what did you think of that um, I thought it was good once uh, we named the who okay at the first I'm like who are we so give me an example where where we named the who just. Um, well, I think it was when I was like, "Are we breaking up?" Right. Because before then, I was, were two people meeting, but not, and just why I was that important? Yeah, I thought it was really nice because you
0: then uh, had this, <coughs> the stakes. You know, uh, I think I probably could have given you a little more emotionally too. You know, like the whole. I felt a little guilty saying the C word, you know, just like, oh, I'm just going to say it because it seems provocative, mm-hmm. but I don't think it was really a smart choice on my part.
1: That's what I Not if you want to keep that relationship going. Right? <laughs> 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 uh, I've been married It's <laughs> easy. <five, so. laughs>
0: okay, uh, and then the third scene was uh, the Forever Young the mm-hmm. two guys. I like that. Did you? hmm Yeah. Um, and where would could we have gone with that one, do you think? Do you think we, we, we played the games and...
1: Yeah, I think we did. I mean, that's always indecision is a real tricky Mm -hmm. improv game to play because it's like based in in inaction. Probably the thing to do is like take three steps toward one one of the Forever Twenty Ones and realize it's a horrible mistake. Why do we do it in improv? The indecision is it just
0: fear, or is it I'm I usually do it because I'm just scared, or I'm like, oh, I I,
1: you know I'm going to wait for Peter to make a move. I I don't want to make the wrong move. I think there's a little bit of that of just like you know, after you, no after you, um, but also like you're making it up. So I think it's a completely natural to spin your wheels for a little bit until you decide what what the stakes are for you know one of those choices or or the other. You uh, you were
0: immersed in Chicago for a long time now. You're back and then New York style. How do you see the
1: two different? The the biggest difference is. Um New York improv, especially out of UCB, is like entirely game focused. Mm-hmm. And Chicago tends to be much more character focused. Uh-huh. So, you know, a Chicago scene will start with people figuring out who they are to figure out what they want mm-hmm. and there's the game. And the a New York scene is two people listening to each other like hawks for the slightest weird thing to pounce on and make the game of the scene. Which would you prefer? Um, they both have their pros and cons. Um, I will say, like, I don't particularly enjoy watching most improvisers take, like, three minutes to figure out what's going on in their scene, because I'm like, you could get there a lot faster, get to the good stuff. Um, By the same token, I think New York improvisers will sometimes, like, pounce on something Kind of insignificant when they could wait you know 20 seconds and something more uh, deeper and potentially rewarding might pop up and also the other thing that happens a lot in new york is the scenes are two people like <laughs> literally standing still like this like just talking to each other there's not a lot of like physicality uh because there's so much focus on the words that's certain groups more than others. Some you know, subgroups are, are also super... And I've,
0: I've also heard that it, it's almost it's very territorial there with the three theaters, the Magnet, the Pit, and UCB. Mm-hmm. Did you experience that?
1: Not so much. Um, I think it, it was when they started. By, by this point, most improvisers have things going at at least two of those um, theaters. So I, don't, I think those walls are, are coming down. I think it's, it's a thing like here where you just, like, there are a bunch of different improv places and you pick one that meshes with your personality and sort of make that your home base. All right,
0: we're going to take some questions from the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, we've got some questions, either what we just did or questions uh, for Peter. So if we could turn the lights up, Emily, that'd be great, so we could see people. We've got a, some students here. Yes, Jim. What a, a packet? When the young lady said, well, why don't you show us your packet? like your
1: resume or yeah but basically when you apply for a a sketch show you have to give them some writing samples and like for snl it's like four to seven sketches that you've written um for this show like back in the day they didn't we didn't know what the show was going to be yet so they asked me to uh watch the o'reilly factor to see his talking points memo uh and come up with two comedic essays along those lines, um, which turned into the word uh, on Colbert. It, we didn't know that at the time, so it was two of those, and then um, some like ideas for what some bits could be for the show.
0: If you, if people are going to submit today, um, what would they submit?
1: Um, it is some combination of like a word, a threat, or a tip wag. Threat down our tip wag, and they sort of change it up, and then they'll throw in other stuff once in a while, like suggest a guest and what Stephen would ask them. Um, but yeah, it's like uh, two or three of those. Okay. Yes. Uh,
2: what's your writing process when you're uh, not at the work, independently? When you're
1: writing. Independently, um, now it's it's uh, similar. I just sit down and start writing um the the thing that you learn the fastest at colbert is i mean that show gets it's every day it's monday through friday all year there's no hiatus there's like 10 weeks off or something over the course of the year so you have to learn the biggest skill you have to learn is how to write when you're sick and hung over and you don't think what you're writing about is funny like, still producing jokes about that. And once you get down to that, you get, once that becomes comfortable, now I'm, I'm at a place where, like, especially now I have uh, two kids under the age of five. And it's like, if I get 45 minutes to write, I need to be writing in that 45 minutes. So it is like, go. Yes. Yeah. I just wondered about Baby One's candy. Mm-hmm.
0: How hard was it to start, you know, to just start
1: improvising musically without any training doing that? Uh, Surprisingly easy. Um, The the lack of training became part of our charm.
0: (laughs) Uh,
1: Because how that started was we were a Herald team trying to do Heralds, and then um, we wound up with a coach named Rob Mello who was trying to blend Meisner technique with uh, improv and we were doing that and it was not um, fun (laughs) Uh, so we switched to a coach named Scott Robinson who had us doing some more fun stuff and then I didn't need to tell you any of that part of the story (laughs) Um, there's a piano player at Iowa named David Adler who is super great and we loved him and the one of those fun things is if we were doing a herald and he started playing something you could sing with and he was leaving to go to film scoring school at USC and we said you know what he's leaving in three weeks or whatever let's do all musicals so that we can sing with him as much as possible because we we have so much fun doing it and it wound up being a hit uh so we kept doing it But the thing that came through was it was fun. We were having fun singing with him. um, And that sort of transcends any of our musical ability. Like there were a couple guys, especially back in the day, who could not sing at all. God love them. And they're really funny people. Um, But we found out that when they sang song, it was like the funniest thing ever because they were still committing it, committing to it full on. Um, so it, it was a really low barrier for us, because we liked doing it.
0: And why do you think musical improv, because when you guys started, nobody was doing musical improv. Yep. Why do you think it's become so popular?
1: Uh, because Baby Wants Candy is so awesome. <laughs> no. um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's fun, and it's a different uh, aspect of it, and you can make really cool stuff, um, together. I do remember that we, we, the first time we went to the Del Close Marathon. In New York. In New York. I don't remember what year it was, but I remember in my first song, I rhymed like, fucking cat and hat, and the audience went crazy. (laughs) And I was like, have you never seen anyone rhyme before? (laughs) And mm, I don't think they had, uh, in an improv show. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think it's... I, yeah, I have no idea what makes it so popular. I will say that, like, pe- things have happened in that show that I've never matched in a normal improv show. There's just something about the heightened reality that can lets it go so much crazier. Like, almost like
0: animation. What, what people can express in animation, <coughs> they can do in song.
1: Yeah, yeah. And we got away with some crazy stuff. Um, we can go... I mean, now people go blue... For shock and push that, but uh-huh. like we could go incredibly blue, and not uh, not get a reaction like we had gone super blue, but we had because we were singing, and so you just sort of get away with it somehow.
0: The thing I always liked about Baby One's Candy is, like you said, not some of them not good singers. Some of them not even go to Rhymers. People didn't... But the commitment and the agreement, the ensemble mm-hmm. was so... It was just, it was, it's just so much fun to watch, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, you, uh, some more questions? Yes.
1: Um, going back to Colbert, when before you started writing for the show, did you have a pretty strong political background or, um, like, would you follow it a lot? Or did you have to pick it up a little bit more? Not really. I had to pick it up. Um.
0: Because here you weren't political at all.
1: No, I mean, you are in as much as Second City is political, which is not that... They're political but not topical because their shows run for nine months. Um, So the topicality is something that that you had to pick up. I do remember a day, a couple months in, when I came home and told my wife, I was shocked that I could name all the Supreme Court justices. (laughs) It was... It shook me. Um... Yeah, but that's stuff you, you sort of pick up. And the, the, uh, one of the good things about the staff is they try to balance out the levels of wonk. Like, there are people who spend all day and night on political blogs, and then there are people who just like tell me about something and I'll write a really funny joke. And, like, it's a good balance. Uh, we
0: got time for one more? Question? Yes. I have a question. How, how was the experience
1: doing personal writing projects before Colbert and after? During um, it, is, it is much more regimented. Like beforehand, I did um, a bunch of shows. Here I did three, two one-man sketch shows and three sketch shows with um, Megan Flanagan uh, called The Awesome Show. The Awesome Show 2, still awesome. (laughs) And The Awesome Show 3, this time it's awesome. (laughs) Um, And they were actually very rewarding because it was working with a partner for the first time. I hadn't really written with a sketch partner. Um, But even then, it was, we would write through improv some, and then I'd get to write when I felt funny. And if I woke up that day and I didn't feel funny, I wouldn't write until later, or I'd rewrite something or do something else. And with Colbert, it doesn't it doesn't matter um, if you feel funny. And it's mostly writing with a partner, uh, but it is sort of like pushing yourself to push through and and see what's funny even when you don't feel funny, um, which on occasion is is really great. Like, you feel good at the end of the day when you, like, worked incredibly hard to write about, you know, the Mexican mayoral elections or something, and you got some good jokes out of it. And there are other days where you're just like, oh, my God, eight hours in the joke mines, like, chipping at walls. <laughs> <laughs> um, did that answer your question? Yeah.
0: Great, we'll take one more right here.
2: Um, would you ever have to uh, like talk to the Daily Show staff to make sure you guys weren't using the same jokes?
1: We did at the beginning. Um, we had an executive producer, Ben Carlin, who would actually scooter, I think, back and forth <laughs> uh, between the two shows. Because they moved to their own studio, and we took their old one when the show started. So we were four blocks away, and we didn't... Um, we never talked to each other, but they would... After that, for a while, our writer's assistants would get on the phone together and make sure we weren't covering the same ground. And then eventually, Stephen was like, screw it. Like, their show and our show are different shows. Even if we do talk about the same thing, if we're doing it right, we'll have different takes. So who cares? And they've been like, you know, a dozen times we've had the same joke out of eight years or whatever. Is there a
0: healthy competition between the two shows?
1: Uh, no. <laughs> no, it, it, there's no competition between the two shows because, like, we're owned by the same production company and we feed off of each other. Um, there's a li- and there's not even, I was gonna say there's a little competition about the Emmys, but there really isn't because it's like not. A competition like The Daily Show wins every single year, mm-hmm. and it's to the point that the couple times that we've won, like they're happy about it because, like, those guys have like they don't have room for all their Emmys. Like literally, <laughs> Eric Drysdale, one of the uh, Colbert writers, was a Daily Show writer at first, and I went over to his house. Mm. And it's this tiny New York one bedroom apartment. he's got a table smaller than this next to his couch that had seven Emmys on <laughs> like stacked up. Right. He had nowhere to put he his gives Emmys. out at Halloween. yeah, you know
0: um,
1: So there really isn't. I mean there, the, where it is fun is when we've built up a tradition where one year their writers won the Emmy, and we sent them a box full of nerf dart guns. Um, and they wrote back saying, like, you have succeeded, productivity has ceased. Because they were all just shooting Nerf dart guns at each other all day. And then the next year, we won, and they sent us weed. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it just probably sat, sat, there the,
0: it sat there in the break room for days. <laughs> it was for really day. sad.
1: We all, we, like, almost all of us gave it to our writer's assistant. <laughs> she was very happy about it.
0: Um, In the summer you left the show, Mm -hmm. Uh, after a long time, you started with the show in 2005, right? Mm -hmm. Um, How did you make that decision to leave? Because anybody out there, you've got one of probably, there's a handful of shows to be on, and that's one of them. Mm -hmm. How was that making that decision?
1: Um, It was surprisingly easy. Um, Because first of all, we were coming back for my wife's job, because she finished med school and now she's doing a residency at UIC, um, and you know she wanted to go to Northwestern in the first place and got into Northwestern, but went to Columbia because I wanted to go to New York. So you know, for our marriage, like it was only fair that you know we come back, uh, and we just had a second kid. Both of our sets of parents are here. Um, which is another good reason to be closer um, And then the other thing was you know, Like I said, sort of call back Like I stuck around at Second City for too long And got bitter And it took me a while to work out of that And I didn't like that So I left Colbert while I still really liked it um, Which is the time to leave
0: And what are you doing now that you're in Chicago?
1: Uh, I am freelancing for The Onion, and I'm teaching at Second City in the uh, Columbia College uh, Comedy Studies program with some of those guys. Um, <laughs> and uh, I have uh, I was out in LA pitching a sitcom. that I'm going to keep writing stuff like that for myself, and I've been trying to. I've been working with Wait Wait Don't Tell Me a little bit. Um we have to figure out their schedule their work schedule conflicts with me picking up my kids from school. So we have to iron that out. It's public
0: not... radio, I'm sure they can work around Yeah, that. I'm gonna yeah. try
1: and figure out a workaround for that.
0: Peter Gwynn, thank you so much Thanks, for being our guest. This is great.
1: I thank you.
0: I just want to take a few seconds here to let you know that this episode of Improv Nerd will be our last episode available on Podbean. We are moving, we have a new home, and we're really excited to be joining this uh, podcast collective. Uh, it's called feralaudio.com, and it has got some of the coolest and funniest Uh, shows out there. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of uh, Twisting in the Wind with Johnny Pemberton, but that is hilarious. Called Chelsea Peretti is very funny. And Eric Von Hoffman, and I know Eric 25 years ago at The Annoyance, his podcast is called Brain Warp, The Baby Eater, and it is really super funny. Uh, And if you like what we do here at at our new home, uh, even though technically we're kind of in a transition, we're we're in boxes around here uh, is probably the best way to describe it. We're, We're... looking for friends to help us move but if you like uh, our podcast improv nerd or any of the other ones at, at, at Feral.com, uh please uh you can always donate because we're going to need a little money for the move just, just a little so um remember our new home is going to be FeralAudio.com. Uh, come and join us we'll wait for you we're not going anywhere improv nerd